we just pray for a minute? Heavenly Father, I want to thank you this morning that you are compassionate. Your heart for us is big and you long to meet with us. And of the many things in our lives that we think will prohibit us from uh, hearing you, of knowing you, of receiving from you, we thank you that through the death of Jesus, those things have been broken. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is love in your heart for us. And you long for us. You long for us to hear your word. Speak, Lord. We're listening. Amen. To be honest, I am sort of slightly tempted not to preach at all this morning, just to leave the illustration of Frank at the frontier with Brownie and Joe as a kind of perfect illustration of how I think sometimes we think about the whole topic of God speaking, the frustrations, sometimes how we think of God, you know, God sort of saying, isn't it obvious God's going? I'm calling your name. <laughs> and, then, and then silence. Who on earth are you? Silence, silence, silence. God's voice getting louder and louder and louder, trying different ways of getting to us. And from that perspective, it feels like sometimes that's how it feels. It just feels there's so much noise that we've forgotten what God sounds like or forgotten his voice or can't hear it. Well, uh, but I am going to share a few things from it. Sorry to disappoint you. We could just pack it in and all pray for each other. Uh, we will at the end uh, offer if someone would love to hear. I think one of my yearnings, sorry, I'm going slightly off track here. One of my yearnings is actually that we would be people who cherish God's voice. And I say that, one is because I believe it, because I think this is what this says. But also I know in my own life, unless I'm in that place, I flounder a lot. And that's a pleasant way of putting what it really is more like. Anyway, we were on this year-long journey, coming towards the year-long journey. You might feel it's been a very long journey, but I kind of feel I'm just getting started of walking by the Spirit. And it's worth asking as we come to the end of this year of walking by the Spirit, looking lots of different ways, is where are you with God? No, let's just be honest this morning. You don't need to say it with me. But in your own heart, is there any level of hunger in your heart this morning, in your life this morning, greater than a year ago? You may say, well, how do I measure that? But are you able to recognize in your life that there's a greater sense of thirst or hunger or desire for God, the things of God, the life of the Spirit? There are lots of ways of talking about that in your life than you were last year. This Advent, are we hungry for God's voice? Are we hungry for his purposes? Can, and I say this as much to myself, you're always preaching to yourself as, a, as when you're preaching to other people. Can we hear God's voice above our own opinions, our own desires, our own narrative, or the narrative of others? Or is it a little bit like our illustration, just somehow God seems to have got drowned out? 
I know I'm a vicar and it's my job. I spend a lot of time in Christian meetings and that may be far more than you do. But as part of this, I was just reflecting on in the last month of how many different places I've been in the last month where other Christians have spoken into my life with God's voice, with God's word for me. There are numerous, actually. I know it's my job and I go around Christian meetings, but whether it's Sundays, whether it's Alpha, whether it's meeting up pastorally, whether it's going away to meeting with church leaders, going away to the Abbey, there's all sorts of things, all sorts of places, just numerous ways, and you would be shocked. I haven't got time this morning to say there's some specific things that God keeps saying again and again and again to me. That are both for me and my own life, but also for the church's life. And the question is, you can be doing that on your own. You can, you can sit in your own, but actually, I will pretty much, you must be the most extraordinary Christian in the world if you don't need other people to speak into your life. God created us to be a blessing, not just to the world out there, but to each other. And I've been, obviously I'm saying it because I've been on the receiving end in so many different ways in the last month. And I want us really deeply to understand that actually not only are we able to bless other people, we need to be a means to bless other people, but actually we receive massively when other people speak into our lives. Why? Because there's a core issue at heart. We need our daily bread. We need it. We were made for it. We need our daily bread. God longs to feed us with words of life, words of hope. Our theme this year is hope has a name. So many of my conversations, and I don't mean this judgmentally, it's just a reflection, um, reflect a hopelessness about them at the minute. As if God has left the universe. And God is in the business of restoring hope in a real way, in a true way. And throughout the Bible, we find the prophets particularly are people who love to speak God's word. God gifts them, and then they bring God's word, not just an eternal word sometimes, but also a specific word for a season, for a thing that you need to pay attention to now. Those who know your Bible will know the prophetic books in the Old Testament are written at time of massive upheaval, political upheaval, social upheaval, economic upheaval, upheaval upheaval everywhere, and people are floundering. They're not sure where to turn, what to go to, whatever to do. So God gifts, in the Old Testament this is, individual people the ability to hear his voice and then have the courage to speak it bringing God's perspective, God's mind, God's heart into the circumstances of the day. Why? Joe mentioned it, amongst other things, there are lots of parts of this. God longs to be in relationship with us, with his people. It's personal for God. It's personal. It's not some abstract thing. It matters to God. He wants us to hear him. He wants us to know him. 
And actually, God says some pretty strong things through the prophets. That's a very understatement if you read some of the Old Testament prophets and causes people to a repentance, to turn away from all that's destroying not just their own selves but others around them and to repent and turn away to being faithful to God. Not just to God, but it's just to purposes. And as I was preparing, you know, that call on God's people to bless the nations. This Christmas, there's all sorts. We've got Hillary today, but also we've, in our notice sheet, we want to be a blessing to the world. And for some reason, you may think this is strange, and you may think this is only for certain, you know, special people who sit in this congregation, but God has chosen you and me to display his splendor on this earth. We are the project. We are the means by which God longs to display his goodness and splendor to those around. You may think I don't qualify, but that's not the issue. If you've given your life to Christ, he will lead you. He will show you. He will help you. Others around you will help you. And actually, a time of such... um, uncertainty and we have such a lack of assurance about the future actually there's an amazing opportunity to speak as people of hope in this season a couple of weeks ago at the alpha holy spirit day we thought a bit we were reminded of these beautiful verses in joel the prophet joel a beautiful promise of the gift of the holy spirit in the book the spirit just to remind you as we come back uh, come to land on you know, thinking for a year, is not some newfangled thing, but the very promise of God's own personal presence. God's powerful personal presence. And we need him. Joel, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see vision, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. God's spirit touches and fills men and women, young and old. The dividing lines are broken down. Cut. Do you notice? This is Old Testament. This is hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ. Social division, not important to the spirit of the living God. The spirit is an ageist. Maybe it has different things in different generations. A gift for all people, whether you think yourself in a high position or a low position, God longs to come and to give his giving gift to you. And of course, there is no spiritual life outside of God's spirit. And if we long for more, we recognize we're not where we'd like to be. That's okay, but we need to humble ourselves again. That prayer that the church has prayed in many ways. I fought with it, that very simple prayer. The prayer that um, the church has prayed, which is simply come Holy Spirit. Do you? I fought for quite a while, maybe a decade. Do I want the Holy Spirit? Do I want to invite him? Do I need him? 
John puts it like this. One of the things I feel around some of that is that you may think I'm not sure, but that, that's okay. Well, God will be at work. But it's John in John 3 writing says, he, he must become greater and I must become less. Our, God is to, our, our job is to display his splendor, his goodness, his glory, not mine, not yours. Isaiah 9 is one of the great passages in Old Testament. Old, Old Testament Hebrew prophet Isaiah, this is written about 700 years before Christ. Um, about the coming of the Messiah, those of you who've been around church will know this, that this is a really famous passage we often read at Christmas, prophesying that Jesus was coming. I'd like to simply meditate for the remaining bit of the service um, on two words, one simple phrase, and Mike spoke about it in the prayers too. Wonderful counselor. Wonderful counselor. This Christmas, I want to encourage you to think about the wonder of God and the wisdom of God as we think about hope too. But this morning, about wisdom and in wonder. Jesus, the child born in the manger, is a counselor. The counselor is a source you'll notice in verse 1, right at the beginning of this passage. The picture uh, the prophet paints is not good. Actually, this, this Messiah will come into a dark world. That the world is dark and is in need of light. Now, I know actually in contemporary culture, Christmas is seen as this sort of lovely thing and this affirming thing. You know, but actually, in many ways, Christmas is like an affront to the world because it's saying the wisdom of the world is not enough. A world without God doesn't have the resources of wisdom to save itself. So I have to come. So we need wisdom outside of what's in, in front of us. And of course, those who um, observe culture and know culture say that we have this propensity continually to self-destruct, to be full of confusion as well as there's beauty, there's brokenness everywhere. And actually, Christmas is a time of being affirming, but bear in mind right here, we're reminded that actually it's also quite confrontational. It's because the world's wisdom has failed and are in need of a saviour. We're stuck. We have a tendency to get stuck when we rely on ourselves and our own wisdom and are in need of God's wisdom. If you're someone who's had children and you've been a parent, you'll know that when your children are in a different room, uh, falling out, playing, and you start to hear voices in you're in the other room, what generally starts out is you start to shout advice into the other room. And the advice tends to go something like that. Kids, share the toys. Not quite in that aggressive tone, but in our household sometimes that might have happened. You know, share nicely, play together nicely. And we send a message through the wall into the next tour room. And uh, we hope it's taken, taken on board. But often, this may just be my household, but I suspect it's not. It doesn't solve it. Actually, the advice is ignored. So we say something like this. We say... Kids, if you can't sort yourself out, don't make me come in there. 
Otherwise, I'd come and have to sort you out. And of course, you know, maybe that works for one or two times, but then it doesn't work and the things continue. Until eventually, my word has to become flesh. I have to stop speaking, but I simply come through the door into the other room to make my word flesh, to bring peace and to bring healing. Why? Because they couldn't fix it themselves. And actually the message of Christmas has that at its heart, is that God has come into, yes, the beauty, but the deep brokenness and the darkness of this world to heal it, to minister peace, to bring hope, to bring the very presence of God himself into our world. God comes into our world. The world is awash with advice. But Christians believe that's not enough. Well, you'll notice is what God doesn't do, a little bit of a cultural thing. I used to, we, before this, we were in Winchester. I had a church full of management consultants. God doesn't hire management consultants to sort the world out. God doesn't go and gather the best people, the most successful people, the most knowledgeable people, the most beautiful people, the most connected people, the most people who can build the best strategic plan to try and sort the problem out. God comes himself, born of the Spirit, born in a stable, amongst the manure, the urine, in a tiny little town in the middle of nowhere. God comes humbly. God comes humbly. God in a manger becomes human. Why? Because Christmas reminds us that the wisdom of the world is foolishness. And God beckons us to listen to him. So my first kind of challenge in thinking about the wonderful counselor this morning is this. Whose wisdom are you looking for this Christmas? Whose counsel are you seeking? Whose voice matters to you? Will you seek the counsel of the one who came to the earth vulnerable, weak, yet ultimately, in a kind of ultimate sense of self-sacrifice, gave himself to death, even death on our cross, and a cross for us, washing us clean, accepting us into his family, putting us on the narrow road that leads to life. Will you listen for his voice this Christmas? Will you pay attention to his voice, our wonderful counsellor, Jesus Christ? When you look at verse, verse 6, it's just the most beautiful four terms um, we've talked about. So the wonderful counsellor saying that Jesus, this Messiah, will be the source of all wisdom. It says Jesus it will be the mighty God. Do you know what the word mighty means in this context? It's a Hebrew word, and it means the hero or the champion, the knight who comes in shining armor, the one who faces the overwhelming odds and saves towns and peoples from their distress. But he's not just that knight in shining armor, he's also called the everlasting father, which means Jesus is God himself. 
Jesus brings us into an intimate relationship with God. It is personal for God. Jesus is your dad. And lastly, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Those of you know, well, this is the Hebrew word shalom, which means full economic, spiritual, physical um, flourishing, a sense of thriving in the world. Shalom is about thriving in the world. It means that Jesus didn't just come to give us a wonderful personal relationship with him. He's here to create a new heaven of justice and righteousness we'll see a little bit later in the passage. Jesus came to get rid of poverty, of violence, of injustice, of war, of disease, and ultimately death itself. Now, I would argue this morning that this is good news. This is wonderful news. This baby born in a manger, do you know, have you grasped how wonderful that is? Have you tasted and seen God's wonderful kingdom. As I was reading this week, I realized around some things about looking at how different people talk about wonder, but one of the, people, one of the ways of understanding wonder, it's an involuntary praise. One, wonder is involuntary praise. And actually praise, those of you who know, will, your Bibles will know that praise is really important in the Bible. One of the great, great, great awakening writers looked at the difference, one of the differences in trying to understand the difference of those born again and those who are simply just religious people. And he decided one of the big differences is praise. Is praise. Because the thing is this, everybody asks God for help. All of us know times when we're weak. But only people who want God for who God is himself only people who have had an experience of his saving grace who are making God not just a means to an end, but an end in itself will love to praise. God commands us to praise. We know that. But C.S. Lewis, the Christian writer, found this all very difficult when he was writing about it. And he wrote about it, this kind of thing that we ought to praise. He said, well, I know people who love to be praised, and I think they're mostly dreadful people, he said. People hate them, people who love praise all the time. But then on a chapter in one of his books called A Reflection on the Psalms, he says this, but the most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or of anything else, strangely escaped me. I'd never noticed that all the enjoyment, that all enjoyment, sorry, spontaneously overflows into praise unless shyness or the fear of others is deliberately bringing it into check. In other words, whenever you enjoy something, you have to praise it. You do praise it. We know that in the world. In fact, one writer puts in the fact, praise completes our enjoyment. The world rings with praise of all sorts of different things, of lovers, of poets, of nature, of wines, of various different foods, of actors, of cars, of sports teams, of different universities. But Christians wonder and praise of the eternal God in Christ who has come amongst us. The Father, the Son, 
and the Holy Spirit have been glorifying and praising each other for all eternity. And God wants us to enjoy that same kind of life. And until we fix our eyes on Jesus as the wonderful counselor, the object of ultimate beauty, ultimate splendor, ultimate grace, praise and joy will elude us. See, it's not enough just to believe that Jesus is wise. He has to be our wonderful counselor. You have to wonder yourself into the wisdom of hearing God's voice and following. We have to praise as we journey to Christmas this year. I wonder whether you may take a few moments to meditate on your wonderful counselor, your mighty God, the everlasting Father the Prince of Peace. Amen. I'm just going to take a moment um, for a second just to just be still and to remind ourselves how God knows us and loves to speak to us and minister to us. To know the fresh uh, good news of God coming to us. Maybe sat here this morning feeling, Do you know, I don't feel worthy. But God is reminding that it's Him who's coming to you and beckoning you to come to Him. Heavenly Father, I ask that we would be a church who would grow from where we are now to cherish your voice, to hear your voice, to hear your counsel. Pray particularly that you would still our hearts with all the noise. That maybe we listen to too many other things rather than actually taking time to listen to you. Father, forgive us.